This is Westside Barbell with strength and conditioning legend, Louis Simmons. Westsidebarbell.com, the strongest website in the world. Welcome to the Westside Barbell Podcast. I'm here today, as ever, with Louis Simmons. Today's podcast is a little bit different. Uh, we're going to go through 50 of the most asked questions um, by our fans and followers. And Louis, uh, we're going to start off with number one here. And it says, Louis, what are some effects or effective ways to lengthen the psoas? Um, hello, everyone. I'm glad you're tuning in. And I'm really enjoying doing this. And I enjoy the questions that you present to us. Uh, I want to say one thing before we start that I, I am not a doctor. So any um, uh, on the medical questions, I suggest you consult your doctor. What I will tell you is what I have done or people in my club have done. But I am no way giving medical um references to how to repair yourselves only how we did it um, now the first question Tom you talked about um, effective ways to lengthen so as basically reverse hypers it's an open chain exercise where your legs and hands are hanging down so it actually um, releases the so as somewhat and secondly we do a lot I've demonstrated before in a podcast and talk about putting a, a small med ball in the lower back and doing setups many of you watch people on bench press contests pull their feet up under them and get this tremendous arch. Well, when you pull, the farther you pull your feet up and go back and do the setups, the more stretch you'll get. You know, it starts in the upper thigh and, and goes up and right up to your stomach, all the way up to your rib cage. So that's two ways we do it. That's basically, and ART. Always look for an ART specialist. Um, years ago, I, I had a role for a tremendous role for here in Columbus, but he moved to Nova Scotia. And years later, finally, John Quinn showed up, and then I did have an ART. And John's helped me tremendously to keep me going. Do you find that after the ART, when you use the medicine ball, it prolongs all the good, like uh, release that John has done? That yes. Um, John would work on my um, psoas, which I had since 1973, and I brought my back the first time. And uh, he would work on me. It would relieve it. But um, even the next day, I'd wake up. When i take a shower, I'd be tight, and I'd have to stretch out in the shower. But when I started, after John would work on me every Friday, I immediately would do med ball setups. Uh, immediately afterwards and that started it and within three months or having this for like 43 years it went away and so now I continually new uh, med ball setups and almost everyone in our gym does uh, you know we deal with many many athletes right now we have a girl um, Christina Madley is in the Olympic trials so let's uh, wish her good luck tomorrow in the trials in the 100 meter hurdles and uh, so we do this to keep people healthy if you're not healthy you, ca you can't uh, perform very well in any sport do you have uh, any particular sets and reps? Do you do a lot of reps? I do a lot of reps. I don't do anything like that. I do everything like these exercises by feel. The only thing I count is the volumes. You know, when we do speed bench and uh, speed pulls and speed squats, that's the only thing I keep track of. And multiplications of um, exercises to control volume. But exercises like this, I do all by feel. Okay. Moving on to question two. In reference to bench press, which would you say are the most important accessory work to do? Uh, begin with the arms. If you can't straighten your arms, you can't lock out a bench. And so um, I believe triceps are the most important. This is after doing your major bench press uh, exercises. And, uh, and then upper back. Upper back is the foundation of your bench. For you to get a huge arch, lower back arch means nothing. Upper back arch means everything. So you have to have a very strong upper back. Um, and then uh, delts, uh, all delts, side, rear, and front, of course. Too many people do too much front delt and, and overtrain them, but the side and delt 
uh, side and rear delts are neglected. So make sure you train those hard and you'll keep yourself injury free. Of course, the chest. Uh, the chest is last. A lot of people think the chest, the chest is a big contributor to the bench press. But, you know, like everybody does pec decks, but, but by doing that, you cross your arms. You don't, you don't straighten your arms out. So it shows that the triceps are the main uh, motivator for getting a big bench. Just remember, um, re remember, do not have a lagging muscle group. It can stop progress or, worse, cause injury. When you trained the triceps, did you work them up heavy, like with JM press or something like that? Did you, like... Um because people always ask, well, we do 10 reps, we do 15, but you used to do heavy fives with JM presses. And <clears throat> yes, uh, I did a lot of heavy JM press. Actually, it's a max effort exercise sometimes. But on speed day, uh, after I would do my speed sets, I would start with 225, and I'd either do three or five reps. Then I'd make 50-pound jumps. So I would go 225, 250, 75, 300, 3 and a quarter, 350. My best ever was 405 for a triple. So I would be between 350, you know, up to... Um, you know, up to 405 was my all-time best. Uh, then when I was done with that, then I went into dumbbell rollbacks. I like dumbbell rollbacks. One of my training tapes that shows uh, me using years ago of 70-pound dumbbells for eight sets of eight every 20 seconds. A lot of people talk about rest periods. I believe you have to have great endurance in the triceps. Uh, let's get hard. You have to struggle and keep pushing. You just can't rely on blasting it up in a split second because that doesn't happen. It's basically a lockout. So I always train fairly fast. I built a lot of muscular endurance along with my top strength. Okay. Uh, on Max Every Day, I, I used a JM press as a Max Every exercise. I would use a camber bar, and I'd put pins in my power rack at chest level. Then I would drop them two inches, put my thumbs up inside the curve in the five-inch camber bar, lower down across my face, and that way I got two extra inches of stretch doing the JM. And always fist first. Press the fist up first. Don't use it. Don't make it into a close grip bench press. And um, but uh, that was uh, there. Uh, my best ever was 405 for one. Basically, at the same time I did three, but 405 off a piece of carpet lying on my upper chest. Thank you. Um, question three. It's kind of a two-part question. Uh, Louis, how long would you do speed pull movements uh, before going into strength training, or would you create a separate session based on speed movements? Oh uh, yeah, you know everyone's familiar with Westside knows we have a speed day. And we also have a max every day. So on speed day, you know, we normally do around 25 squats, 24, 25, just like the Chinese. And then it's, then it's followed immediately by 20 or 21 deadlifts. A lot of guys here like to have been doing seven pause triples. Uh, my girls like to do four sets of five pause triples. So we've taken our work volume up a lot. Um, so you want to work speed days is always done with, um, with the speed pulls. And max every day is a different day. Um, so that day, you know, uh, 72 hours later, we knew max effort work. And what was the uh, part of this question? And, part? Um, well, can you train two strengths oh, in one day? No, you should never train two strengths in one day. Slow strength or max effort and speed strength, you cannot train them together. You, that's why they're separated by 72 hours. And um, so, you know, um, that's why we do have the two days. And he also wanted to know, how would you train someone to explode uh, with good power out of a squat without bouncing out of the hole? Uh, box squatting is the greatest method. you got to watch our tapes, learn how to box squat. They're not on a 20-inch box. They can be on a 6-inch box. But you have to sit, release, roll back. When you, you release your hips, you roll back, and then you have to flex and squat straight up. Box squatting is the most superior way. Uh, if you want to build explosive power as well, jumping with weight. 
uh, will build starting strength and uh, static overcome by dynamic. Uh, we've got new devices coming out quite soon, as I believe is going to revolutionize the world. But uh, by by, uh, if you want to build uh, explosive strength, you squat, you push up on a bar that won't move for right now, and then immediately let go and jump under a bar with 30% and jump up and do jump squats. That's common. Bonacek did this, Verfashansky, Medvedev, many, many people. On the box squat, I think a lot of people don't understand when you go down, sit down the box, relax your hips and come back up, you are still keeping tight. You're not putting all your weight into that box. Like mm-hmm. I've seen some people who raise their feet off the ground. That's imp- you should never be able to do that. And I no. think that's where people screw up. You're losing all the benefits of the box squat. Yeah, you can't use a box as a crutch. A box should be harder. When you do, re- years ago, uh, I squatted 630, 180 with zero gear, 1973 with a 670 deadlift. And I remember my, my box squat, I would get about 15% more on uh, off a, in a meet than I would off a parallel box. There was, in 73, you weren't allowed to wear knee wraps or wrist wraps. So box squat was the key. Uh, you know, also, uh, Tom, is, it's a different, but also floor press done properly is, is static overcome by dynamic, and that's, that's one of the greatest methods of strength training. That's why box squats do too. Static overcome by dynamic. Some of the muscles held static, and then you, of course, um, flex to come back up. It's basically, squatting is a jump up with resistance. Uh, and then also some of the muscles relaxed and relaxed overcome by dynamic like when a boxer throws a jab. But both these two are the greatest methods of strength training for explosive and absolute strength and box squats do them both at the same time. On to question four on isometrics. This is a three-part question. Uh, part A is how should isometrics be used for the bench press and deadlift? Part two, should they be incorporated on max effort or dynamic effort day? And finally, should they be used as a secondary movement or a main movement? Well, first of all, isometrics is a method that, that will measure one's absolute strength. Not by lifting barbells, but by pushing or pulling on a bar that does not move. Uh, with, then with a meter to determine how much force you're producing. Um, isometrics builds max strength. Um, I do ISOs after max effort work. Um, I do ISOs after, um, uh, before uh, dynamic work. Because after you do the isometrics, you always want to do some relaxation or some movement. And uh, it's very important, isometrics will fluctuate about 15 degrees either direction from where you're pulling or pushing. So we use about six different positions. Um, and they, uh, while they claim it's not for novices, I've used this on uh, 17 and 18-year-old track girls and have had tremendous success. And um, so we... Um, you know, so basically, after you do the isometrics, it's always good to go do some jumping um, or some um, exercises like that. Remember, years ago, uh, Verfrischanski and, and uh, Bonacek both used a system of heavy. They would squat a barbell of about 90% for a rep or two, then go to a second barbell with 30% to 40 and jump. It's called the heavy light system. Um, or they would pull on a static bar, like I mentioned before, release it, go over and lift 30 to 40% for for explosive power. If you wanted to build speed strength after the heavy light or the static bar, you would go to weights of 75 to 85%. So, um, you know, basically this is how you do it because that will determine the type of strength you're de- developing. Um, you also incorporated some quasi-isometrics. We used to do it with the, uh, with the bamboo bar where we could hold it for long periods of time. We'd breathe and we hold it in different parts up and down. Um, is there any difference between training like that compared to uh, like when you, when you hold on to an isometric movement just say we're, we're deadlifting against the pin we're pulling up 
Is there a certain time range that someone should pull against that pin and release? Well, basically, they recommend three to six seconds. We normally seem to get the best results in about three. Um, so, you know, the problem with isometrics, if you hold your breath, it's, ru it's, ru it's rough on the res respiratory system. But with quasi-isometrics, Tom, like you know, it's a lot like wrestling or grappling. Uh, you can breathe while you do this. We do lots of um, quasi-isometric squats in the bell squat machine. And um, like you said, with the band bar, we would put bands on it, hold it in a certain position for up to as many as six minutes. Mm -hmm. um, years ago, the great Olympic weightlifter, Alexis, now this man broke 80 world records more than anyone ever. He did uh, Olympic lifts for one to three minutes in a total set. Uh, he said this built tremendous uh, muscle mass on him, which caused him to uh, go from basically nowhere to the greatest weightlifter of all time. He actually gained 70 kilos or 154 pounds from the beginning of doing this until later in his career. Uh, Pizzarinsko used the same style, and many lifters did. They didn't feel it would, would work in the beginning, but later they changed their mind. Um, you see a lot of uh, Russian fight experts. They will have you do um, quasi-isometric quasi squats, five minutes to get down and up in one rep. Uh, we've tried this. It's not It's uh, not easy. Very, very grueling. Okay. On to question five. How would you program for a knee that has atrophied and created a single leg imbalance? Uh, first of all, I ruptured my patella tendon back in 91, and then when I, I, I came back pretty well, but when I started pulling sleds, it made, it made tremendous uh, advantages over what I'd done previously. So I suggest you pull a sled and uh, play close attention to your gait. Uh, try to apply even force on both legs. Most people get a bilateral deficit when you have a knee injury. So uh, try to apply both amount of effort while you're on both steps. Um, also, walk with a wheelbarrow um, uh, to balance out, uh, you know, across the legs. It, what it does is like having a crutch with wheels. So you can walk. You can, if you're really bad, you put 70% on your good leg, 30 on your bad. As you be, get more proficient at this, it goes 65, and then eventually, um, you know, 60, 40, then 55, 45, and eventually 50, 50. And if, if you feel like you got a problem, you just merely set the wheelbarrow down. I got this in Jesse Kellum years ago um, down in uh, New Orleans. He trained a lot of the Saints back then. And that was one of the exercises he did for knee rehab for the ballplayers. You seem to have been able to um, do a lot more reps in the plyo swing with the, um, with the tilt forward without help. Ref like that if they have one. Yeah, single leg plyo jumps uh, in the plyo swing would be good. I don't recommend doing single leg jumps, you know, right off the bat, but in the plyo swing it works great. Another thing you want to build, do a lots of calf work and lots of hamstring work, and and this will take care of um, this will bring up the the, the strength in your legs, okay. lagging leg. How often and when do you implement jumps into a power lifter's training? Or anyone's training, I suppose. Uh, everybody should do jumps. And they normally two times a week, 40 jumps. Um, I like to do 10 to warm up. Like, say if I was going to jump on, I had a good guy and he could jump on a 42. He would do five on a 30, then five on a 36, then 30 uh, on a 42. He may do five, um, what would it be, six sets of five at that point. And um, we are mostly, most of our jumping is with weight. We use ankle weights, kettlebells, weight vests, combinations of all, a lot of kneeling jumps. Uh, we jump out of foam. You can jump out of sand. You know, each week you want to change the method, and about once a month, uh, try a new box record with a jump record with no uh, resistance at all, just body weight. 
Um, you know, I don't like uh, jumping down. It's very dangerous. Um, you have to be a very, very top athlete and learn how to land. You know, like I said, it's not the fall that kills you. It's, it's when you land. So you got to learn how to land. A lot of people don't land very well. Uh, this method is um, momentum impulse. There's an equation uh, that will determine how much force you need if you weigh 200 pounds, say, to jump on a 40-inch box. Um, how do you determine total training volume for a lifter? Have we moved on to number seven? Yep. Okay. Uh, I base it off of, if you've read our plan, it's called The Plan. I took Dave Hoff when he's 15. Uh, well, Dave had a 400-pound squat at 19. He squatted 1,005. Um, the only teen, I believe, still to squat over 1,000. So uh, basically, the plan is if you squat 400 pounds, um, we here train mostly with bands, 50, 55, and 60% in a three-week wave. So if you look at a 400 squatter, um, and if he, he's doing, uh, he would use uh, 200, 220, 240. So at uh, 200, he, if he did, we'll say 12 doubles, it's 24 lifts, it's 4,800 pounds. That's how I arrived at this. Then on the third week at 240, he cut it down to um, uh, uh, 20 lifts, and that's uh, 200 uh, or 4,800 pounds. So that's how I, that's how I came up with this system. And if you go up to an 800-pound squatter, and every one of my gym, and we have 83 people that squat at least 800. An 800-pound squatter does 9,600 pounds of work. So you see that's twice what a 400-pound squatter is. And if you follow the chart, if you've seen the chart in any of my books or on our web pages, uh, if you jump up 50 pounds and squat, your volume goes up 600 pounds. Now, to get up there, uh, if you're a 450 squatter, I don't recommend you using the weights that a 500-pound squatter does. You, you can use it, but the problem is your bar velocity would slow somewhat. Your rate of force development would not be as good, and you would not make progress. So this is all, it's not based off any, um, um, it's all based on math. It's not based off hypotheticals. That's very, very important. Um, and then the volume, well, I believe in our sport, the squat starts everything out. So if you're a good squatter, you're going to have a good meet. So then the squat also is uh, we monitor it with the reverse hypers because it takes care of the uh, low back hamstrings and glutes and the spinal rectors. And there the volume is four times that of, a, of your squat volume. So a 400-pound squatter does 4,800 pounds would roughly do 20,000 pounds of reverse hypers. Uh, this is on a strap model or a roll model, not a bent pendulum. Bent pendulum very, very hard. Um, and then, uh, so a, um, if you're an 800-pound squatter, your squat volume is 9,600. So basically, it'd be 40,000 pounds of reverse hypers. And, and for us, it, you use 50% um, of your squat and uh, for the repetitions. It's very important for people to monitor their own volume. I, I, I bet if, if you found if anyone went backwards, they looked at their training volume, it would go down. Uh, if you follow these methods that we've used, researched, with a stat person being here, I find you'll never overtrain or you never undertrain. Um, was it uh, Alexi of that? They he went backwards. And they looked at his volume. They noticed his volume. No, it was um, Leonard Zabzinski. Yeah, yeah. When he went slightly back, he, he didn't make progress after the 1664 Olympics. His volume had slightly slipped, and his intensity. Uh, you know, percent one rep max slightly went backwards. When they corrected that, he went right back to breaking records. Okay. On to uh, question eight. On a two-a-day with a max effort and a sprint session, which one would be the first one in your opinion? 
I believe when I train spinners, and I train quite a few, I've had two people win Olympic gold. I took a Big Ten inboard sprint champion here from Ohio State. Uh, he ran a 10.47, meters, and he had to qualify for the Olympic trials 10.20. At that time, years ago, the high state track coach said there's no way George could run that fast. And I had him nine weeks, he ran 10.17. I always did max effort work first. And then the sprinting, uh, his sprint coach would handle him in the afternoon. This is contrast training. This is a contrast method. When you handle heavy weights and then you don't have any body weight, um, you're going to run faster. And it sets up the central nervous system and it stays in the body for a long, long The effects stay there. Years ago when I trained Butch Reynolds, um, Butch would say after he did the heavy sled pulls and he would do some sprinting, that it felt like actually someone was pushing from him from behind. Um. On to question nine. How do you suggest for a lifter who has an injury for about a year to know uh, how to go back to work, whether it's keeping him from lifting? Uh, it sounds if you still have this lagging injury. What I suggest, um, train, train what exercises that don't hurt. Uh, do lots of GPP um, and, um, you know, use uh, therapists, ART, Chiropractic, massage, water therapy, um, anti-inflammatories, whatever your doctor would suggest. Um, you should know one should have a leg injury for a year. Uh, you need to uh, address this problem immediately and, um, and get it solved because no one should have a, an injury for a year. Uh, one thing that I've noticed here, that if people get injured, there's always a plan B. There's always some, if there's a lower body, they work their upper body. They always seem to keep active, and the more active they keep, the better results they get, and the right. quicker they come back. I believe problem uh, most people don't solve injuries or make progress either because they don't work out enough. Uh, I, the majority of my people here at Westside train a minimum of eight times a week. They do four major workouts and four small workouts. Remember when you were a child and you couldn't make free throws, so your dad went out that night and gave you the ball and you had to shoot 100 free throws. Or you couldn't catch a ground ball, so dad hit 100 ground balls to you. wasn't too long until you could actually catch ground balls or make the free throws. It's the same thing here. Uh, if you're lacking lower back, go back and do reverse hybrids. You lack triceps, go in and do 200 extensions. You're not going to overtrain. You know, you all, a lot of most of my people we talk to are basic beginners uh, are working their way up like I hope everyone. No one's ever going to be strong enough or fast enough. So you're always trying to go up. You cannot do too much. Uh, you will be amazed. You know, for those that can bench, we'll say 400 uh, in a T-shirt. Um, and a lot of people talk about overtraining. Well, how did you ever bench 300? And how did you bench 200? You had to do more work to get to two, to three, to four. You constantly have to do more work. It's a mathematical formula. Uh, you just have to be smart and do the work where it counts. It does no good to be strong in the wrong exercises. I think a lot of people are afraid, too, when um, they start pushing up the extra volume. There's an initial setback because they have to adapt to the load being placed upon it. But then they overcome <clears throat> that, and then their GPP is higher. I think they're just so afraid of taking that one step backwards to make three forwards. That's what throws them off. Years ago, when I just started out, I couldn't bench very well. And, you know, I benched at 315 at 170 meets and 320. Larry Pacifico told me that I had to train my tries. He said, if I was ever going to win a nationals, I had to get a top 10 bench. So uh, Larry told me to train my tries. I'd go back after a meet and I'd train them. And sure as the world, two weeks later, I'd be worn out and my bench would be going backwards and I'd stop. Well, one day, I, or one time, I was going to a meet, and the meet got canceled. So I had the opportunity to train my triceps for about three extra months. And lo and behold, I went to that meet and made a 20-pound PR, and the next meet, another 20. Larry was right. I, I just basically was out of shape. I wasn't used to the work. So once I adopted to the work, I started to make some serious progress. Uh, 
On to uh, question 10. People always talk about lumbar injuries. How would you st strengthen post-cervical fusion C5, C6? Well, I would be very careful with this. Again, I would talk my doctor. Um, one, I would do traction. We have a tremendous neck traction device here at Westside Barbell, along with back traction devices. And I'm not talking reverse hypers. I'm talking chiropractic tables. Um, then I would start with light neck harness work. Manuals like football players would do years ago. Uh, hook a rubber band up and do neck exercises with a rubber band. And then when you get strong enough, you know, like wrestlers do neck bridges. Um, one thing we do a lot with the fighters, and um, we walk with a, a neck harness while we pull a sled. We uh, bend over all the way like you're in a Muay Thai clinch, stand up, walk back slow, stand up. And I mean, this is for a long distance, uh, 400 to 800 meters at a time. And uh, also a wheelbarrow. You can hook up a neck harness to the front of the sled, put it on, and you have to keep your neck in a tightened position while you walk. You know, that's the problem. Uh, people don't train their neck, and they don't train their lower back, and that's where all their injuries are. Paul Anderson said years ago that he felt the neck was the least uh, under-trained under muscle in the body. And if you've ever seen any of his books, it shows him swinging 180 pounds around his, uh, of a neck harness around his head. This guy had one serious neck, and he didn't have any neck injuries. Question 11. Is there a way to train reverse hypers without having a reverse hyper? Uh, yes. In the very early stages, I brought my back. I couldn't do any exercises, and I got the bright idea to uh, put two boards up inside a power rack on the, on the safety pins uh, where I could, my feet would dangle, not touching the ground. I grabbed the front of the rack, and I raised my feet to the rear, and I did reverse hypers. Um, basically, I put two two-by-eights inside my power rack to suspend my upper body with my feet off the ground. So this is a, the simplest way I know if you don't have it. You cannot do reverse hybrids on a stability ball. Uh, you can't do them on a glued hand bench. You have to have your feet move forward up underneath your face when you're lying flat down on the table. This is what actually rotates the sacrum and makes reverse hypers work the way they do. Question 12. For maximum effort work with Olympic variations, how much band tension do you recommend? Well, guys, I, I've had a hard time getting an Olympic weightlifter here. But for speed work, I use about 75 pounds for people up with, to a 300-pound clean. If I, I've seen guys, and that's with one strand of a miniband over the bar on a four-foot wide platform. Um, I've had a few people come in, a couple of them can clean 400, but I've, you know, very little. So this is something that you Olympic lifters have to do your own experimentation with. But I should, then he put two strands over the bar, and I would guess that's 150 pounds at shoulder height for a power clean. And then work up the records there. Like we do, work up the records with different type of band tension. Uh, the key, you know, as weights grow heavier, they grow slower. And um, the problem is if you try to max, see Olympic lifters never want to max out in the clean and snatch, uh, very often because if you do it often enough, you'll start to fail and you won't make any progress. So if you have to do all spatial pulls and squats and jerks, that's how you break max effort records. But one another way you could do the actual classical lifts is with band tension. You would have records with two or three different band tensions, and that way it's not psychologically damaging if you do miss a lift. But bands make you very, very strong, and uh, it, it, uh, in my opinion, it corrects the problem of weightlifters. They can't lift slow weights or heavy weights. When it gets heavy, they can't lift them. So, and when they get heavy, they slow down. So bands actually force you to pull throughout the complete range of motion. Uh, you get complete back extension here. It's also, you got to be very quick to jump under the bar if you're doing a classical um, a sn a snatch or a clean. 
You have to be very, very fast. It's, it's faster than the weight's falling down. It's pulling you down. So uh, that's what I suggest. And if you want to use the squats for absolute strength at 50% band tension, and like if you're a 500-pound squatter, you use 250-pound of band, hopefully you can make 250 pounds of weight on the bar. That would build um, a big squat. That's how we do it. Question 13. What exercises would you recommend for strongman, and how would you implement the strongman events into the program? Uh, basically, I've had strongmen come here. They're very strong walking backwards with sleds, but not forwards. So I would do real heavy forward uh, sled pulls. I would also do zercher lifts. Um, if you can't get the, if you, you big fellas can't get the bar off the ground, lift it off a pin in a power rack or take it in your elbows and do zercher squats. Lower the bar down, try to dip where the bar goes over the knees, down midway to the shin at least, then stand back up. Uh, my friend Sakari overseas has four strongmen a dead of 900 with straps. In, in Finland, one of their favorite exercises is sprinting with a 1,000-pound wheelbarrow. I believe it's 30 meters. And also very heavy um, um, yoke walks. Um, I had a guy here that uh, got a pro card in six months. Went for nothing, got a pro card in six months. He did a lot of heavy quarter squats with bands, a lot of good mornings, and a lot of heavy rack pulls. And um, so that's basically how he did it. Question number 14. It sounds like you do lots of work with rugby players. What would you recommend for a rugby player who only has access to a barbell rack, some dumbbells, and who's looking to increase strength and speed? All right. If Surely you can find an old tire if you don't have a sled. Uh, sled, we pull a lot of sleds. Uh, rugby players need to do this. It builds tremendous stamina, strength, and explosive power. And um, for the upper body, just use a second strap so it's in your hands and you're using your hands as you walk forward. This is something I've had 10-year-old wrestlers do upper body sled work for a, a total of a mile and a quarter in one workout. It never affected them. They went on to high school, college, and actually become coaches. And they felt that that was one of the major things that made them what they are. Um, and we also do a lot of belt squats. They need to get in a belt squat. Just walk in a belt squat, carry wider in there, carry a med ball, um, carry a bar up under something on their shoulder or across their waist, a med ball across the waist. 100-pound med ball for most uh, rugby players uh, is not bad, and one to three-minute bouts. And you just recommended you, you'll find out what type of stamina you have, and that's how many bouts you'll be able to do. I'm thinking five would be an awful lot if you could go three minutes. Mm -hmm. And I think another good one that you – we do here is the snatch grip deadlift. I think that'll be perfect for rugby players, especially to build up the upper back as well as the lower. Yeah, snatch grip deadlift is actually good for about everything you can think of. Yeah. So uh, Olympic lifting, is, well, you'll see the Chinese doing them all the time. And um, it's, it's good for us. Uh, it builds up our traps, like you said, in the upper back, and it's good for about everybody. Um, question 15. Um, bracing without breathing. Would you consider this a training tool for spinal alignment? like deadlifting without holding your breath or using the Valsalva maneuver? Could it further? Could it benefit further when you add the Valsalva bracing? <laughs> well, first of all, you must always push out on your stomach, uh, especially the obliques. Um, always hold your breath with heavy weights. You know, the, the Russians basically said, if you hold your breath, it's heavy weights. If you, hold your, if you don't hold your breath, it's light weights. Mm -hmm. So you want to be able to hold your breath. And, uh, I mean, this is the more spinal pressure you have, uh, the more abdominal pressure you have, uh, internal abdominal pressure, the less pressure you have on your spine. 
I was in a, a Mariah Liggett's thesis way back around 1980 at Ohio State to prove why you wore weightlifting belts. Um, they, I had to wire my chest cavity and one on my stomach, and uh, so I had to do 25, 50, and 75% with and without a belt, and it absolutely proved this. Everyone always wore belts, but no one really knew what, the, what they were, why. Uh, on to question 16. How often would you reverse band deadlift, squat, and bench press in a training cycle? Okay, I don't, I don't like it as a builder. It will not make you strong. Uh, the hardest part of most lifts is, is the bottom. Um, that's where it, it, it takes a lot of effort to get out of the bottom, out of the bench. Uh, well, especially the deadlift because the deadlift has um, you know, no eccentric phase to set up a stretch reflex. Um, it's here at Westside. We call it a tester. Uh, guys will do it. It's a test. If you break a record, I suppose you're stronger. It's not a builder. It will not build you. You know, a lot of guys do it because they can handle these immense amount of weights. I have seen this in experiments in my gym, and um, well, I remember um, Matt Smith one time did 1160 reverse band squat, and then uh, and uh, Tony Bloney did a, a um, 650 with 440 pound of bands. And, and Tony squatted uh, 11 or 1050, and he outsquatted Matt in at me. So Matt, Matt had no bottom. What I've noticed that some people, when they do this lift, it's either a confidence booster or they do it when, they're, when they want to introduce an exercise that they want to get a record in, that they want to do something different or a different stimulus. Yeah, one thing it really does work well for, though, is a second pull for Olympic lifters. Snatch grip or clean grip is tremendous for the second pole. Uh, Bill Gillespie um, down at Liberty University, if you check out some of his websites, he's got a 220 down there, 220-pound football player. Power, uh, power. He actually hand cleans 475. Not bad. Um, on to question 16. How often would you... Oh, should we just do this? On question 17. Um, who was the greatest coach you followed? Uh, I have a lot of coaches, you know. Uh, first of all, let me say in the very beginning, for I never read a book, including in high school. Uh, Larry Pacifico was a big influence on me. Bill Sino, um, uh, George Crawford, and all the West Side guys. Um, you know, Vincentello, all the Ohio lifters, because every one of them was world record. Roger Eastep, um, and but really, I started doing a lot of um, reading. And Muscle Power Builder in 1968, it was the old West Side Barbell Club in Culver City. Really changed my life. But as far as true knowledge, 11 years, when I got out of the Army in 1970, I started training full-time, lifting, competing. Well, I broke my back the second time in 1981, so I started getting all the Russian manuals I could. And basically, uh, and also I worked um, some seminars with Mel Sif for super training. But what turned me around was Mel Sif. Uh, ben Tabasnik, tremendous sprint coach. Zasazorsky, Furfashansky, Comey, Bumpa on his um, periodization, which I really didn't agree with too much. But, you know, without periodization, you have chaos. Um, Kuntz, Medvedez, Roman, Bosco, Romanoff. I can go on and on and on. But uh, these are the men that influenced me tremendously. And um, I have many, many books. Uh, I probably have 100 books. Uh, and uh, all these men are mentioned in them, and I use their methods, and I've used it for every sport possible, and I've had great results in every sport possible. If you were to suggest to one person from all these authors to get one book, what would be the first book 
outside of a basic physics book, what 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 do you think the? I would buy the science and practice of strength training. Um, like I said, I started doing the Russian training in 1981. I mean, bear. And a year later, I started to get the idea of what I was doing. It took me a year to begin to understand that what I didn't have was science. I started to apply science. But uh, the first edition of that book came out in 1992. And I read that book and I said, well, I am on track because I'm doing basically what um, the, the scientific methods of training calls for. I was actually doing it. So it was a relief to me that I was on the right track, even though my gym was making tremendous progress uh, uh, during those 11 years. On to uh, question 18. Should you be doing jumps if you can't squat two and a half times your body weight? <laughs> uh, yes, guys, you can do jumps, not death jumps. You want to be able to squat two and a half times body weight just to be able to survive death jumps. I don't particularly like them. I had one girl uh, leave here, no injuries, like all my girls, and, and go to a D1 school and had shin fractures, jumping off a 36-inch box. To me, this is coaching my practice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's coaching my practice. It's ignorant. And another thing they did, uh, I won't mention the school, but you'll know who I'm talking about, uh, two, 10, 200 all-out sprints. And I said, if that's a good idea, the coach would be doing them right along with you. That's the most insane training I've ever heard of. More training is not better training. So uh, you got to have some sense. But basically, you want to jump up. And um, that way, you're, you're, you're going to survive. And young children can start jumping. I mean, young child should be doing jump ropes anyhow. Mm-hmm. Um, on to question number 19. Uh Doing around 100-meter sprints, is this too risky for powerlifters? I noticed you said sprinters are injured a lot. Yeah, sprinters are injured a lot, and notice makes no sense for a powerlifter. You're never going to, there's no need for you to do 100-meter sprints. What you need to do is heavy sled poles and jump. If you want to be explosive, you have to jump. Uh, Jumping is a definition of explosive power. All right? And sled poles build all the primary muscles that is going to make you lift weights or jump or run. So I suggest you do those two there. Uh, if you have a bell squat, do lots of walking in the bell squat. Not sprinting. It doesn't. You know, it's called exercise uh, specificity. We're not runners. We're powerlifters. Okay. Um, number 20, set and rep schemes for weight releasers. Um, all right. You always want to load with a barbell and weight releasers a total of 80%. And, uh, you drop off 20% in the bottom. So you, you uh, raise concentrically with 60%. This is for explosive power. This is what recommended by all the Russians. I've done a lot of work with weight releases for years and years, and that's what we've always had the best results with. Okay, 21. What would be good exercises to perform for a youth track team? Uh, first of all, I'd like for them to start jumping rope. Uh, lots of jumps, lots of bounding, pulls lightweight sleds, tumbling, team sports with balls. Um, you can always evaluate... Um, who possesses uh, explosiveness or great endurance? And um, are they uh, timid or are they fierce? Which one? What type of kids do you have out there? Uh, by doing this, and the coach ought to be able to help uh, place them into the sports activities or the distance they're going to run uh, more effectively. Can you tell me what the poundages are at the top of the bands that we have here, starting from mini, monsters, mm-hmm. lights, Averages and strong. Um, whenever you hook bands up, guys, you have to weigh them. Just basically stand on a scale. If you're going to squat, hook it around whatever you're going to hook it to. Pick it up to the bar height that you were taking the bar out of. Uh, this goes for bench or um, or stand up in the deadlift. 
and basically multiply it by two, but subtract your body weight, and you have it. Um, you cannot just justify if you stretch a bar three feet. If I went around a bottom of my power lift and I went around the end of my bar, which I believe is two and a quarter inch circumference, but what if I placed a band around the plates, which is 18 inches? It's going to drastically change. So you have to weigh these bands. And if you use the same two sets of the same band, you just double up the weight. Okay. Uh, question number. <laughs> oh, did I? Sorry, did, did we give the the what are our percentage are for minis? Well, yeah. the way we do it, we yeah. uh, in the minis for um for bench pressing, we go around a four by four, it's about an inch off the ground. We double up and put on the bar. It's 85 pounds. Monsters are 125. Lights are 200. And um, I don't ever measure the greens because uh, only George Halbert and J.M. Blakely and about six other guys could even do that. Um, for deadlifting, we double up and go across the deadlift bar, a four-inch platform, and it was measured on me on a Swede, which is pretty short. It was 220 a lockout, about 100 in the bottom. Uh, Monsters is 280. That's what KK uses over in the Soviet, uh, well, uh, Russia. KK, the big 950-pound devil, uses uh, Monsters. And um, for squatting, um, a light band measured uh, 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 choked around a uh, monolith plus a 4x4 four four is basically 70 pounds. A light band is 140. A strong band is 250. Okay, thank you. Uh, 23. Is yoga good for mobility? Um, yes, I suppose it is. I know Matt Brown, when Matt trained here, he did a lot of yoga, especially hot yoga. Yeah. He enjoyed it. And I know my sprinters do it. They, they think it's quite um, beneficial. Bless you. 24. Louis, what would you say, in your opinion, uh, bar throwing are some of your top exercises for throwers, shot put specifically, but also in general? Yeah, bar throwing is great. Bonnet Trump doing a lot of that. I believe incline uh, barbell press, dumbbell presses. Always, in the dumbbells drop as quick as you can. Drop press, drop press, drop press. Uh, set that stretch reflex up. Um, the key is build your traps. You know, I talked to East German biomechanics expert years ago. He said a lot of their lifters didn't do a whole lot of Olympic lifts, but they did do poles. The key was to build up the traps. Um, so, you know, or you can do poles, um, um, you know, cleans or snatches, whatever you like to do. Jumping is very important to a thrower. And also, you got to squat and bench. Um, as you raise up, you get monstrously strong, and you have to train with speed strength weights. Um, here's, here is the key. If you build speed strength about 75 to 85%, whoever can move those weights the fastest should be the best thrower accordingly if they have good technique. I trained a 7010 shot putter here at Ohio State. Well, it went to Ohio State over 30 years ago. He still holds a record of 70 foot 10. And uh, basically, that's how we trained him. Um, bringing up that, uh, like we, we've read a lot of what Bonacek writes, and very smart man. Do you think um, when he writes that shot putters should get to a specific level of strength and then train the special strengths? Uh, the way we do it here, we'd have the maximum strength in there too and the special strengths in the same rotation within a week. Do you think that he just doesn't understand that concept or what's your take on just getting to a certain max level of strength and then that's it and con uh, then concentrate on developing the special strengths? Uh, no, I believe all strengths must be raised. Everything must be raised. You know, your education, you, you have to be smarter in all subjects. You just can't be smarter in one or neglect one. So you you got to raise them all. But if you want to develop greater speed strength, you have to raise absolute strength. Because an 800-pound squatter 
uh, training with 640 uh, would be, or, or 640 pounds would be his speed weights. And a 400-pound squatter, 80% would only be 240. Who's going to generate the most force? I noticed years ago, uh, why are shot putters so strong? You know, Uta Beyer uh, actually touched ago bench 727 pounds. So there's a reason they did these. He also uh, noted in a manual that I received from this East German uh, biomechanics expert, uh, showed him squatting. You know, of course, these are in gym trucks, 992. I have two people to witness, Kevin uh, Akins, who I trained at, through at Ohio State and set the record, and another thrower out of St. Louis, both witnessed Uda in um, Colorado Springs do 10 singles, and the behind-the-neck push jerk was 661. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I don't think he ever held his strength back. So you got to raise up all strengths. Okay. Um, strength and power is the key to everything. I know a lot of times top shot putters, they actually train in reverse of what they're doing forward. They'll train a lot of the rear delts and everything. And uh, and backwards. Uh, yeah. And we got a lot of yeah. good things from the belt squat, from doing rotational work in the belt squat. I definitely think if you want to learn how to throw, um, read um, uh, Bond and Chop's work, and I think you're going to become a good thrower. Um, in my, my, I think my weight program is much, much more sophisticated. You know, it's not divided by repetitions to develop a certain strength. You know, high reps for hyperbole and lower reps for power and then one rep for max effort. It's a lot more sophisticated than that. But again, we rely greatly on jumps for throwing. Judd Logan, a friend of mine, went to four Olympics. He said he was stuck in a hammer, wasn't going anywhere, and his squat went up, his bench, he inclined, everything went up, but the throw didn't go up. And he actually was some East German uh, throwers too years ago. Told him he got to get his box jumps up. Well, at 285, he did five five singles on a 56, and that's when his toes took off again. So, see, that explosive power is everything. It, too many people make a huge mistake in measuring throws. I saw this in a track book. Was is the correlation between max strength and throwing? Well, there was none. Well, of course not. It means nothing. Uh, Sub-maximal weights mean everything. Again, how fast can you throw? A speed strength weight, 75 to 85%. How, much, how fast can you move those barbells? That would make, the or explosive strength, 30 to 40. Whoever moves 30 to 40% and, and they have equal technique in, the, in throwing will throw the farthest. It says that's just, that's just mathematics. Question 25. Um, I tore my pec last November. The tear is in the muscle belly. Um, with upper body push work, would it be best just to use only dumbbells? band work and incorporate the earthquake bar well november is a long time away we normally be way on this um only thing i can tell you is uh, what our guys would do they would do high reps with light dumbbells and i'm talking i personally have done 200 reps in one set um band bar for high reps and i'm talking 50 to 70 reps and uh this is for soft tissue repair so um you know and if you want to start building the bench up what i suggest you do start with high pin presses where you're locking out the bar only two inches and uh, move it down slowly over the weeks, three inches, four inches, five inches. Uh, but just be careful and do a, a lot, uh, even pec deck. Get on a pec deck and do 100 reps. Um, you need to really uh, put a lot of blood in this area, and um, hopefully you'll be able to repair it. If you've got a big hole, you're out of luck. But, it, you know, kind of back to the throwers, um, my bench press technique came from East German throwers. I actually bench press, was taught to bench press toward my feet.
Now, the old Westside Barbell Club did the same. It's no coincidence that George Friend was a world record for a 56-pound weight throw. And uh, they had a lot of throwers come overseas to visit Westside out in California. And so I've always pitched that way. If you if you do not turn your elbow outward, you will not tear anything. But, but it may be a tricep. And that's, that's at least um, injury uh, done in at least our sport, powerlifting. A lot of pec injuries, a lot of delts, but very few triceps. 26. How often would you put prowler training after max effort um, pressing? Or how often would you put prowlers in the training? Well, it says here with rope handles. Yeah. Okay, so it's upper body work. Um, you know, for me, the prowler is GPP. Uh, with the upper body, we go 400 meters, and I know, Tom, you, your fighters will go 800 meters, right? You go around, yeah. Okay, so we do long distances, nice outside. You don't have to listen to bad music. <laughs> and uh, you're out there by yourself. You get in the zone, and you just go forever. So I suggest you could do it two or three times a week. Uh, you got to gauge it yourself. You know, no one can, no one can tell you how much work you can do on some of these um, spatial exercises. You've got to gauge this on yourself at your level of preparedness. Um, you you want to constantly uh, push up to work. That's how you get stronger. The only way, you got to do more volume and constantly somehow raise the intensity. If you look at Nam Suleiman's training, the great Olympic weightlifter from uh, Bulgaria, you'll see exactly how this works. Uh, 27. Any help on rehabbing uh, an inguinal hernia? Well, first of all, I suggest you contact your doctor. Um... And um, if and I, I'm taking you had it surgically repaired. If what I have seen, they normally put one uh, piece of mesh in, and invariably it gets tore out. Uh, we had a lifter here, um, Shaq, uh, when he he tore had the operation tore, and I told him tell his doctor put two two in. The doctor consented, did it. He actually went from 675 in the deadlift to 725 in the deadlift. And so if you're going to do this, you're not ordinary, guys. Tell your doctor you're not doing ordinary activity. So having double mesh the thing, and uh, that's what I suggest. But, again, talk to your doctor and see what he says. 28. Do you know any lifters that have had L4, L5 distal placement surgery that have got back into lifting reasonable amounts of weight? Um, I just had a coach here from over in uh, Connecticut. He had low back surgery. I'm not so sure they replaced this. And that's what you're asking, right? Yeah. Uh, but he had low back surgeries. But if, uh, And got on my Ben Pins reverse hyper. It says the best thing he ever did. Uh, on the way out of town, he visited Ohio State, but he wanted uh, Marty Mitchell to bring him back over here before he went back to do it again. But he didn't have time. And um, so, you know, if you look at our website, you'll see a motion uh, a digital x-ray, DMX. Uh, people are performing reverse hyper with pins in their back. The, both gentlemen said they could not do any low back exercise at all until they got on the reverse hyper, and they were able to do it with no pain. Um, so, yes, you should be able to come back. You know, I mean, actually, I, I broke my L5 in 1973, and I was on cushion for 10 months. Back then, you know, medicine wasn't, wasn't what it is today. And I, I luckily come up with a reverse hyper exercise later on and, you know, came up with a machine, which I uh, eventually actually had six patents on. And um, But, you know, then in 1981, I broke it again. And a doctor here in town wanted to take out two discs, fuse my back, and take all bone spurs. So, uh, needless to say, I didn't go back. I did acupuncture, I had a very good one here in town, acupressure, um, reverse hypers, and stretched. And I, at this time, I couldn't lay down for 17 weeks. And uh, But you know, I fully recovered. That was in uh, 81. 
I mean, by 87, I was pulling over 700 again. And, um, you know, when I was 57, I pulled 715 and 217. And at 63, I pulled 675 and 217 in a meets. So I completely recovered from these injuries. And I did it by basically doing what I just said. 29. Having some low back issues at 60 years old affecting my bench charge. Um, could you use the reverse hyper for strength or stretching? Uh, it can be done for both. You want to go ahead and do hypers that will actually stretch out. First thing you want to do is get range of motion. Secondly, we'll build up the back. Um, thirdly, and again, remember the reverse hyper because it's open chain exercise has a great effect on the psoas muscle. And many, many times, that's where all the tightness or pain in the lower back comes from. Uh, remember also to sit down on the, lay down on the ball and do the, the ab ball setups that we do all the time here. We don't have, you know, I had enough injuries. My guys don't have injuries. Uh, we steer them through, right, right, Tom? Yeah. They don't have any injuries. And, I mean, we've had phenomenal big lifts here and no, no hardly any injuries at all. I think it'd be doing a disservice to you and everyone else who came up through generations who broke their bodies so these guys don't have to. Right. I mean, me, Dave Tate, Chuck Vogelpohl, uh, Rob Fusner, George Howe. I, I don't want to go on and on. It sounds like a war zone. But we learned our lesson. And I made things better. You know, some people just make the same mistakes over and over and over, which is insane to me. And as I see this in a lot of sports, and uh, that's one of my pet peeves. And I mean, that's really the only reason I write books is because I found out how to train and not get injured. Um, and these people, you know, in track, in general, half of a track person's career in college is they are injured. This is insane. It is absolutely insane. So things have to change in America, guys. Just because the Russians get to stay home, we still got to kick ass. Um, 30. Where did your biggest influence in lifting and your training mentality come from? Well, like I mentioned before, Tom, uh, the Russian coaches and their books. I mean, this changed my life. I mean, I'm, I've got a broken back the second time. Can't lay down for 17 freaking weeks. I'm sitting in a recliner. I get these books and Bud's kind of getting out of Michigan. And I remember Bud told me, he said, you know, these books are classroom books. That's exactly what I want. I need to learn my own sport. Everybody thinks they're a freaking genius. You know, we're all a bunch of morons. And when you start reading these Russian journals, you'll find out how really stupid you are. I found out. And uh, so I constantly, I mean, I, some of my books, I have no reason to lie. I will guarantee you I've read over 100 times, and I'm probably being generous at that. Um, and also, um, you know, that's uh, my lifting my biggest influence on lifting and my mental training comes from reading. I mean, I'm as dumb as a, I was a dumb kid as you could get. I had to pay $100 just to graduate from high school. And um, I dated two teachers as well, and that, didn't, that, that helped me. But, <laughs> but one of the books that changed my life was Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Talks about a stupid seagull. All he wanted to do was fly fast, and they kicked him out of the, the flock for flying fast because, you know, he's supposed to be out there eating birds or, you know, dead fish. Um, he got flying super fast, and uh, and, um, and the book goes on how he got fast, but he thought there was limits, and then he met, he met a super goal uh, named Chang, and Chang changed all that, told him there are no limits. Um, that book made me, uh, it put, I went from 1555 in 1972, Feb in November, to 1655, February of 73. Uh, 100 pounds on a raw total, training by myself with a mirror and a radio. Because this book made me uh, to believe in myself and what I could be. I always said, if you think you're, all you people out there listening to podcasts, if you, if you think you are great, well, then be great. Those don't think it, be it. And that's what this book taught me. 
And later on, it back then, it made me an athlete. And as I got older, it also realized it made me a coach. I had to start uh, putting out the information that I've learned for myself and many, many lifters and many of these Russian coaches and everywhere. Um, a second book, The Five Rings. Uh, Mashashi, I'm a big fan of Mashashi. I, I can say without a doubt, I've never strayed from the way. I've done one thing since I was 12 years old, and I'm going to do it to the day I die, and I'm 68, and that might be tomorrow, but I don't give a damn because I'll never stray from the way. I'm going to live the life of a samurai as close as I can. I've never been on a vacation in my entire life. So another book, The 33 Strategies of War. And thirdly, uh, Hakakuri. Hakakuri. Uh, I like these books. They're to me, they're inspiring. Um, so I read books like this. Um, movies. I'm not a big movie fan. I only watch about five, but I've watched them two, three hundred times. Times, and of course, I'm not counting the Godzilla movies. But um, um, the Shogun Assassin is absolutely one of my favorites. I mean, it's, uh, it's about choose the bar, choose the sword. It's all about vengeance, and that's what I like. Life. Every day you get up. Uh, you know, life's trying to kill you. Do you survive? Yes. Get up tomorrow. Do you survive? Yes. So, you know, I got a tattoo on my shoulder. It says, born 10-12-47, died, never. And as far as I know, when I die, it won't be a lie. So, um, another book, uh, the, um, the Shogun, um, the Samurai Trilogy. That's a tremendous book. It's about Mashashi. In the very beginning, was just a, a basically a hood until the, the time he turned into a master samurai, having killed at least 60 people in death matches. Uh, a, a, another movie uh, is Mad Max, the original one. I, I love revenge. You mess with me, I mess with you. You mess with me some more, I mess with you. And that's the, my gym was built on this years ago, just constantly harassment and revenge. And uh, that's why you went to the gym, to kick somebody's ass. And um, so um, that's that's some of the books and some of the material that I've read. It it's really made a big difference in my in my life as far as lifting. Um, I just wanted to touch on for my own information on the, some part of this. Um, you always said when you got injured, you never let doubt enter your head, and you always had a plan to come back. And you also said that <laughs> you had a uh, when you got tricked and you still had a hole in your throat, that your training partners came and got you and hauled you in the gym and told you no matter what you're lifting. And I think that's a big thing that people today don't understand, that if you let doubt creep in one little bit, you're done. And you just have not let that creep in. Now, now they, they took me right out of the hospital. I was in intensive care for five days in the hospital for a couple more. And they took me to the gym on Tuesday. And I had a hole in my throat. I, I just had a tape shut. I didn't need a trach. And I had chest tube stitches. <laughs> Great hospital I went to. They nearly killed me. And then, uh, but that Sunday I went to the gym and they said, uh, you know, basically called me a few names and said, I'm maxing out. And I actually, uh, you know, wall bench five, five, uh, fit, 355. And, uh, I mean, that's just the way it goes. Uh, I, you know, I hurt my, uh, I told my, I wrote from my patel tendon and in five months I started squatting five, I got back to 500 on a little box. And I remember I did the 500. I want to do 500. It's all I want to do. And I did it and I, I, I shifted over off my, my bad knee and hurt my hip. Vogelpool goes, you can do five and a quarter. He's already putting it on the damn bar. So I, what I got to do, I can't say no this guy. So I did the five and a quarter, limped around for about a month, half. Then I said, I'm going to do 550. I do 550, shift it again, you know, afraid of my knee, hurt my hip. He goes, you can do 575. Well, I did 575. Then I limped around for another month, half. But you know, I fully recovered and actually come back to go from an 821 before I completely ruptured my patella when I was 43 to squatting 920 when I was 50. And that was a tie for second in the world that year. So um, that's what training partners are for. And you can't have any, I mean, am I afraid, you know, there's fight and flight. 
Once I'm in something, I'm in. I don't give a damn. You know, no one can beat everybody, so I don't mind losing, but I don't like quitting. I've never quit, and I'll never quit. If you quit once, you're a quitter. Do not be a quitter. Uh, a big thing that you said to me was when um, when you ripped off your patella tendon or when you broke your back, the first thing in your head was, well, how am I going to get? How am I going to fix this? Right. How am I going to come back? And I think that's a thing that's lost that people just don't have today. They, they rely on doctors. If you rely on doctor's advice, you will never do anything again. No. And you have to, uh, you have to work in your own uh, rehab. You, know, you have to help yourself. When I broke my lower back the first time, I was on crutches for 10 months in 1973, leading into 74, latter part of 73, into 74. And no one, was, I, no one could do anything. I, I don't know. I mean, doctors must have been really bad back then. But I would go downstairs, and I had a mirror and a radio. That was my training partner. I had no training partner. And I would just stare in that mirror, Tom. And I look at that mirror and I go, what am I going to do? What can I do to get well? What can I do? And eventually I, I stumbled on reverse hypers. And uh, so you know what? I mean, this went on. Um, you know, I was on crutches for 10 months. And you're probably talking 14, 15 months. And yet I, I finally found a way. And actually, as and, and Tom, you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for reverse hypers. Because mm -hmm. that's how I make the majority of my money, that in education, of course. And so, you know, you never know what one thing will lead to. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why... Don't you just sometimes you go go down that road that no one's ever gone down. That's the that's the key to life. Question number thirty one: Squats, box squats or high box squats? Which is superior? High bar squats. Well, listen, guys, there's no squat better than box squats. Uh, we got the greatest squatters in the world. The first eight hundred pound squatter was Pat Casey, uh, Westside Barbell Club, nineteen seventy. What was it? Box squatter. The biggest, the two biggest squats in the world, uh, twelve sixty seven to three eight Ranson. And Donnie Thomas, 1265, box squatters. Um, Dave Hoff, the, best, the greatest squatter of all time, 1210 and 271, box squatter. Chuck Vogelpohl, uh, he uh, surpassed Chuck here at Westside as the greatest squatter, 1180 at 264, box squatter. Laura Phelps, 775 at 165, box squatter. Uh, I guess I've said it enough, right? <laughs> There's no, listen, you can do any very, you want to do a high bar squat, do it on a box. Um, you want to do any variation of a squat, you can. Zercher squat, we do them all. We do so many on a box. You know what is most unique? You, you know, what do you, if you talk to this one guy, Russell, what do you need? What do you need? Oh, hips. You got to have hips. Well, how do you build them? You don't build them if your feet six inches apart. You got to get your feet apart, wide, build up the hips. Those are the most potential muscles in the body, but are always neglected. So when you do wide box squats and get down and release, you have to overcome all that weight off that box from the dead dig. I mean, all the muscles are relaxed. Then you have to overcome the weight. This makes tremendously strong hips. And then we supplement those with um, front squats. And like you, we are, Dave, we saw Bernie Hawk here, squat 700 pounds easy. Front squat. And then uh, we do lots and lots of belt squats. And we pull lots of sleds. And we, we, we pay a lot of attention to posterior chain. Uh, uh, calf and glutes, inverse curls, band leg curls, standing leg curl, leg curls, you name it. So that's what we do. 32. When is the best time to use the sled? Um, I believe you can use the sled about any time you want. I would always use it when I trained hard three times a week. Monday on max every day. Sometimes I'd use the sled for my max ever workout. So it'd be very, very heavy, uh, maybe about eight trips of uh, 60 yards. Then on Wednesday, I would reduce the weight about, um, uh, oh, about uh, 30%. And I, I would increase the trips up to 10 or 12. 
And because um, on Monday it was max effort, it built maximum strength. Wednesday it built strength endurance. And then Friday, many times I like to pull a sled, just maybe two plates for 60 yards for six trips. That was my warm up to go in the squat or deadlift. And that's exactly how I did it. So you can pull a sled after a workout, before a workout. You can pull up the second workout of the day. Uh, it, you can do it any basically any time you want. You know what? Years ago, Tom, I was afraid to take out the trash. If I was going to me, I didn't want to take out the trash from month before the meet. Yeah, that's right. And you know, you hear this all the time. They think any little activity is going to wear them out. I had a kid. Uh, he had to build a um, you know a, um, a, a you know entertainment stand, but he wouldn't do it until the meet was over. Yeah. Well, now I realize I don't give a damn what I do. Nothing. Nothing fazes me. I pull, like, matter of fact, before meets when I trained, I would pull sleds on Wednesday, then get in the car and drive out of town for the meet on Thursday. I normally had to take equipment a lot of times uh, over to Pennsylvania or West Virginia or wherever we lifted. And um, so that's the last thing I did, I pulled a sled. I mean, you got to be in shape. If you're not in shape, you can't recover. If you can't recover, you can't do more work. If you do more work, you'll never get any stronger or faster. 33. Could you explain the Circle Max more? He has the basic concept, but he wants to know it. Okay. The circuit max here is you can read this in um, the Science of Practice Strength Training. Basically, 21 days out, well, 28 days out, we take it pretty easy in the squat, about 50%. Uh, so it's a mini delayed transformation there. Then 21 days out, with our breeze and the suit bottoms, we work up to all-time record on, a, on, a par on our parallel box. All right? Um, and the band tension here is around uh, 47. It might drop down to 39% somewhere in there. Uh, the key is seven lifts. Uh, do uh, two doubles on the way up. Like the other day, um, you know, Wesley um, is a big squatter. He's already done 850 easy at 165. Uh, let's see. Wesley did um, uh, two with um, 335, two with 385, um, one with... Um, 425, one with 470, and one with 520 for a 20-pound PR. So you see seven lifts in total. Um, two doubles and then three singles. And why three singles? It's exactly what you do in the meet. All right? And um, so what this does is it sets everything up for the squat and the, and the bench and the deadlift for your recovery. Um, now, that's on a, we squat on Friday 21 days out or as close as it can be. The following Monday... That's when they take uh, over in the deadlift, and they take it. The plates are on, placed on two-inch mats, and this takes our leg drive out. So they'll work up to a single wherever they want to, and then uh, two days after that, Wednesday, they take their last bench press in a shirt. All right, ten days out on a Wednesday is the last hard physical. Oh, I'm sorry. The following Friday, 14 days out, they use 75 percent of what they did on the circuit max weight. All right, and then it's a light bench workout, and then. Um, the next day, and then on that Wednesday, 10 days out, they take a the maximal, a record floor press. Uh, this is a lot like uh, Ben Johnson's coach, Charlie Francis, and many top swimming coaches do. They'll take something physically hard 10 days out, and this leads us right into the contest, and it, and then we can relax, make weight, and uh, we're ready to go, and we have a, a pretty good success with it. Okay. 34. What helps with joint pain from heavy lifting? Well, first of all, I think traction. You got to do a lot of traction. You need just nutrition in general, massages, ART, rolfing if you can find a good rolfer, heat, cold. Um, so you may have to take time off if necessary. 
Uh, you don't want to run around being, you know, it sounds like you're just, if your joints, you're just overtrained or malnutritioned. Um, so, um, basically, that's that's some of the things you can do you can do right there. I know it's a lot of the guys when they either take heavy squats or heavy lifts, they'll come back in for blood flow work, ligaments and tendons. Yeah. They'll do real light weights. They'll pull a light sled. They'll they'll keep active. They don't want to stay sedentary because the more sedentary they stay, the sore they get. Again, too many yeah. people think you just squat, bench, and deadlift, and mm-hmm. if they do anything more, they're going to go backwards. But you have to do more and more, and that's how you recover. You know, you can do a small workout every 12 or 24 hours. So I recommend highly. You know, you heard about uh, domes, onslaught, uh, delayed onslaught of muscular soreness. I've never had it. Because when I train, I train so often, I never I never got that sore. I mean, I would, I would squat at 8 in the morning, and by 10, I could feel the squat workout. But at night, when I come back at 4 o'clock, I did more stuff, and it was gone. The next morning, I worked out again, and the next night, I worked out again. So, you know, even right now, I, I do two and three small workouts a day, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm completely retired. So that's how I do it to keep myself as healthy as I can. It's really people who are primarily sedentary that don't do anything they come do a hard workout mm. then they stop to recover they get sore then they take too long off they come back again they get sore take we, we've had people like that right now did they last mm-hmm. no <laughs> you say if you slow down you go down that's right um 35 how do you prepare mentally for a heavy lift i basically use zen i use no thought no fear no failure i don't think of anything um i've lifted for so many years and I came up, I lifted in a meeting around 1979 in Canton, Ohio, in the 198s. In that meeting, the top 10 in the world, there were six of us in that meet. So that's how I grew up, living with Larry Pacifico and Vince Anello and Roger Estep and Ed Matz. I mean, and these are all freaks. So I realized right away, I can't worry about them. I need just to worry about me. And so also, I found out later on, I used to, uh, I don't worry about anything. There's nothing to worry about. It's fun. You got to make it fun. And so, um, uh, even though I was a fierce competitor, I, I made it fun. So, um, that's how I did it. And uh, I never I never felt any pressure. I mean, I, um, these guys are all world record holders in the single lifts. I couldn't I couldn't keep up with any many in the single lifts, but I could beat a lot of them in a particular lift. So I just, I wrote down numbers when I went there. My handler had the numbers. That's what we did. If I needed five more pounds to move up a place, I did not take it. I took what I had because it was instilled in my brain for months before that I was going to do these weights is what I did. I never worried about anybody else, trophies or anything else. I own no trophies. I don't don't need trophies. I I was always live for the top 10. And then, um, you know, and when I would look at the top 10, I wouldn't look for people below me. I looked at the ones above me. That was the only ones that mattered to me. And you always said you were in competition with yourself. You're trying to better everything that exactly. you do. Exactly. When we go to meets, you know, every, you know, some of my guys always want to take unrealistic weights, right, Tom? Mm-hmm. I say make progress. You know, come back and talk about a five-pound PR. Don't talk about a 30-pound miss. And anyhow, if you go to me and don't make progress, uh, the months that you've trained are a total waste. You don't know if these what went wrong. You know what? Something absolutely went wrong. So make progress, please. Thirty-six. What should be done for elbow pain? All right. Uh, I found out years ago before the squat bars came, most people held their arms too close together. I was guilty of this when I was a little, you know, 170, and I got heavier and heavier. Thank God uh, squat bars came out. Uh, if you move your hands out, like a squat bar is 57 half inches inside. You know, a power bar is only 52 for those of you that don't have squat bars. If you have elbow problem, I suggest you buy 
at least a Texas uh, squat bar or, or a bow bar if you have to. Uh, they're pretty economical and it's going to save that elbow pain. Um, another thing, you want to do a lot of hammer curls. Build up your forearms. Um, grip work of all kinds. Work in sand. Hang. Um, do a, a lot of exercise hanging on to a wet towel. Like if you do your upper body sled work, just use the towel. Just to build up your grip. And do light extensions for ultra high reps. I had a lifter, I think you all know, A.J. Roberts, you know, tremendous lifter came here. He had a little over a 700-pound bench, and it went basically nowhere in a year. And I said, A.J., you got to do extensions. He kept telling me, he said, oh, they hurt my elbows. I said, it hurt your elbows because your elbows are weak. So finally, he quit fighting with me, and he started doing all these extensions. And then within a year and a half, he went from like seven and a quarter to nine ten. And how did he do it? Extensions. And did his elbows hurt anymore? No. You remember Tom Flavio in here not long ago, the rugby player. Bad elbows, right? Mm -hmm. He did an internship here. Within three weeks, he had no elbow problems. Uh, he still has no elbow problems because he learned to do lots of extensions. So that's basically um, how we do it. 37. Undynamic routines. We performed three weeks um, of the same routine. Changed the full routine, including the accessory lifts. Do you do the same on the accessory parts for your maximum effort days? Or do they change each week like the maximum effort day main lift? Well, after three weeks on a speed day, what we do, we change bars. All right, the same percentages, they may go and change the bands, uh, but they, you know, small adjustments like that, they always make some type of adjustment. The accessory work, they may change. For me personally, I only like to do something for about a week and a half and I switch. Reverse hypers or belt squats is the only thing in this gym is always done. Why? Because of traction. Um, so you switch exercises, many, many, there's all kind of tricep exercises, so you, you just can't keep doing one forever, or, uh, you know, for the squad, you know, glued hams will work for a while, then do stand-up leg curls, then do inverse curl, then do band curls, pull heavy sleds, constantly switch around like that. Now, Max Everett, remember, guys, the, the barbell lift each week changes, and for accessories, change them when you feel like it. If they don't think they're working, you got to change them. I don't like notebooks because of that reason. Tom, you've seen it at breakfast come in. Matter of fact, uh, two weeks ago, we got two guys going to meet. So at breakfast, I said, hey, why don't you other guys take Circumax? And what did they say? Okay. okay. Did they break their records? Yeah. Yes. They had a hour notice to do the hardest thing that we do in this gym, and yet they broke their records. No mental preparation. That's what physical preparation is. I think a big thing too on the accessory lifts, and um, sometimes like we, we've we're wise to it now. But you have to push the exercise until you get um, the inverse curl is a big one here. We used to do it for reps, but we're like, well, why are we doing this? We start taking off weight, making huge progress. So push yourself each time you get on it. Just don't stick with the same reps or the same weight and increase your sets and reps. Push yourself and always try to get the most out of it. And when you feel that you're getting too good of it, get rid of it, change something else in, and come back to it. That's right, Tom. Every spatial exercise, as small as they are, is a lift. You have to excel every time. If you're doing 30-pound dumbbell extensions, you got to get to 35s. If you're doing 35s, you got to get to 40s. If you're doing back raises of 100 pounds, you got to do 110. You can do 110s, you got to get 120. It's a never-ending thing. You burn the candle both ends, but that's what sports is, guys. Well, you know, you're not going to live forever, so you know, go fast and go hard. If you want to be hardcore, you got to live hardcore. So I think that's the biggest mistake in strength training. And a lot of training, they uh, a lot of spatial exercises. They they just do. You no, know, I hear this all the time. Three, I do three sets of ten. I do four sets of eight. No, 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 no. You do it until you can't move that body part. Then move on. That's yeah, how you do it. These are just guidelines. They're not set. That's in stone. right. You can't set anything in stone. No. 
Because if, if you do 10 reps, you're going to coast until you get to 8, 9, 10, get to that 10th rep. Yeah, that's why I like to count reps on things because uh, invariably you're using your intellect and not your physical being. Mm -hmm. uh, 38. Uh, I'm seven weeks tricep uh, reattachment to the elbow. I've got full range of motion. Could you please suggest how to start regaining strength in the tricep? No rehab was suggested by my surgeon. Okay. Well, remember, I'm not a doctor, and I'm going to tell you what we did. But the last guy here, Jake Anderson, tore his tricep tendon, detached it, seven weeks. Seven weeks later, in a meet, he benched raw 345. Um, you, right, Tom? Yep. Okay. Um, I had a guy, Jason Fry, one of our world record holders a few years ago, brought a friend in. I was about 40 years old, and he tore his tricep tendon off in here. And so he goes to the doctor and gets it reattached. And he come in, and he says, Doc said I can lift. If I recall, it was four pounds in two months. And I go, what? So I told him, first thing, I want you to be able to uh, straighten your arm all the way out, which he could do, and we did it. We cut a, a mini band in half and did hundreds of extensions at a time. Then I wanted him to curl and take a touch his fist on the shoulder. I wanted the arm to have full range of motion. Secondly, after we did that, we started pushing up, uh, then double push downs with the bands, and then we got him in the band bar with light weights. And one month after tricep detachment, tendon detach he benched 135 for 20 reps. I personally had a shoulder um, um, socket replacement, um, and um, in three months, I benched 300 after surgery in a T-shirt. I did it because one week later, I benched a broomstick. I called a friend of mine, Paul Childers, real smart guy over in Buffalo, great lifter. And Paul said, well, first of all, you want to get your range of motion. You got to be able to touch your chest of bar. You got to put it on your back for the squat. That's exactly what I did. Then I, with that with a broomstick, I started to tie... Um, uh, little plates on the bar two and a halves and fives and a five and a two and then move my way up and um then i went on to the band bar because the broomstick wouldn't hold anything and but within three months i benched 300 pounds and i went on and meets with a shirt to bench over 500 pounds and two meets at 63 uh, 39 about a month ago i noticed on a video that i shifted to the right when i came up in the squat this has never happened before since then, I've been having a little bit of hip pain and extreme tightness where my hamstring and glute tie in together. I've been mainly, mainly doing glute ham work, pull-throughs, and um, a lot of uh, RDLs again. And I've been feeling better, but any exercise to help keep the hips healthy? Uh, first of all, I would go to my chiropractor and get my lower back adjusted. And for all of you who've never heard of this, there are two chiropractors here in town. Many people get the SI uh, out of place so the way to adjust that is a side posture with the top leg straight push the top leg as far up to the face as you can stand between the person's legs and then adjust them like that like you would a normal side posture but not by hooking the knee um, that will adjust the lower and and move the si um, secondly it could be your psoas we, we see this all the time basically people look when you stand and squat if one foot is ahead of the other it's normally you have a tight psoas get to an ART guy get that psoas worked out or a rover and, um, and remember about the ball setup I keep going through this but it's very very um, um, essential that you do these things and um, hopefully that will help you 40 do you recommend barbell hip extensions for athletes or powerlifters is there a best variation? Well, hip extension, we do lots of hanging leg raise. We do laying leg raise uh, with weights. Um, hip, ex hip extension in the bell squat machine. Uh, Ultra-wide sumo deadlifting. Ultra-wide low box box squatting. Many people 
have a, they can't lock out the others because they cannot get their hips to come forward. Again, this could be the psoas, and then it could be tight hips. But we do a lot of these, and this seems to correct all these uh, methods. And our guys have very, very strong hips, basically from ultra-wide sumo deadlifts. What can I do to keep my lower back strong after an ACL tear that I'm getting surgery on soon? Number 41. Um, if you can, start doing reverse hypers. Um, and, um, you know, start pulling a sled. You, what was the question? Um, my lower back strong. strong yeah. yeah, start pulling a sled because that's one of the best things you could do to repair an ACL injury. Start doing some light hamstring curls. If you have strong hamstrings, real strong, you can actually perform with a torn ACL. This is in some medical books. Um, so I suggest you do a lot of calf work, seated and standing, a lot of hamstring work, pull a sled to keep your lower back strong, do reverse hypers. And um, I think this would be a, a good start. You know, my friend Chickenhawk here years ago, he had a 920 squat and uh, tore ACL out in York, Pennsylvania. So he came back, had it operate on the Cleveland Clinic. <clears throat> in eight weeks, by starting back on a high box squat, working his way down, doing all the leg curls we talked about and hamstring work, in eight weeks, he was trained with 420 and three set of chains for eight doubles. Again, you know, you had to be... Uh, don't be crazy, but you got to push right back into the therapy. After you know, and um, get back in and get to training, and especially before fear sets in. Mm -hmm. So you you don't want fear to set in, you'll never do anything again. But that's basically what I would do: lots of hamstring, calf work, pull sled, and for low back reverse hypers. And um, you know, stretch out those hamstrings. Question number forty-two: What different dumbbell movements do you recommend for triceps? I like a lot of elbows out for the triceps around the elbow, rollbacks, um, French press. If you don't know what that is, you sit down and you do dumbbell pressing from behind the head with a bar or dumbbells. I know, Tom, you do a lot of that in our Good Morning Machine. Mm -hmm. um, so decline rollbacks, I like those. I always like decline presses because the bar is always falling back towards your face, putting a lot of emphasis on the triceps. So um, it, it basically works. Um, all those angles, just change angles. I'll always change it with the elbows and go. Um, and I like straight bar extensions. You know, years ago they made, why did they make the easy curl bar? To take the pressure off the elbow. But unfortunately, you need pressure on the elbow to have a big bench. So my favorite extensions years ago was straight bar extension. Not easy curl, but straight bar. And my belt, I, I built my elbows up to it, and I had no problems doing them. Question 43. How do you feel about reverse grip bench press? Should the bar path be straight up and curved and down or curved? Well, um, reverse bench works the triceps real hard and the side delts because you got to always push the bar outwardly. It teaches you to stretch the bar correctly. And you must do this in a straight line. If you press these over your face, you're going to eat it. Um, you know, it can be very dangerous. Uh, years ago, Anthony Clark, you know, he's passed. But I, I remember a good friend of mine, but I spotted Anthony for the first 800-pound bench press here in Columbus, Ohio at the Arnold Classic. And um, I always asked, uh, I asked the trainers why Anthony did reverse. Because I remember he, there's a picture of him doing a 600-pound close grip incline. And he said he never wanted to take his hands out. So the only way to get to use max grip was reverse grip. So I actually think a lot of people could get some big reverse grip benches because it's a shorter range of motion. You're pressing towards your feet, like I mentioned before. Um, I, you talk about reverse band press, what like I said I use as a tester. But my best years ago... Uh, when you got 100 pounds out of the shirt, I did 580 with a blue band, regular grip. Reverse grip, I took it out myself, and I did 600. Jeez. But I was always afraid to try to reverse grip into me. Yeah. And, uh, 
But um, it just shows you that is an advantage uh, biomechanically. Forty-four. How would you condition uh, for a two hundred meter sprinter using a bell squat? Um, okay, uh, I've got a two hundred meter sprinters here, and we basically do a lot of speed belt squ uh, squats on a soft box, as many as you can in twenty seconds. You know, rest, get your heart rate back where you want it, and repeat. Maybe uh, you know up to a hundred total reps. And you start getting a lot of reps, uh, add weight. Like you want to get more than a rep a second. That is for strength endurance. So, if, so let's say you get thirty in uh, twenty seconds, and you and you want to you want to keep it there. Uh, just start adding a small amount of weight because the more weight you work use, and, and if you could do more uh, again thirty in twenty seconds, you're doing more work, which in turn makes you run faster. Uh, use a slightly above parallel box, make it softer, put a cushion on it, or we have a half sock. But it's very, very popular here. Um, and um, let's see. And we do a lot of power walking with sleds. Um, and we normally go like uh, for a bit over 20 seconds. Like, you know, a lot of people make it go 25 seconds so they don't have a deceleration phase. So uh, we, we do a lot of sled work like that. Keep track of the weight. Most people do best of about body weight. Uh, you can produce great amount of force by using weights on a sled that you can't do uh, without a sled. Um, as far as conditioning, again, we do a lot of walking or actually jogging with a safety squat bar on our back. Uh, the walking is just tremendous. It builds up uh, lung capacity and it builds all the muscles as it's going to take you to run. So we do a lot of stuff like that. 45. Any alternative exercises that can work when you don't have a glute ham developer or a reverse hyper? Uh, yes, Tom. A lot of sled pulls. Do, live on sleds, man. For I don't know what they cost, 150 bucks or something. You go buy a tire, go out and rub a tire off your neighbor, <laughs> took a rope to it and pull it, and, and just have put weight inside it. But that's one of the best things you can do. And um, if you if you don't have a glute ham or reverse hyper, do light good mornings. You know, do light when start with. Always hold your breath bending over. Uh, band curls up to 200 a day. This one, the, the key essentials, I think, high rep band curls. This keeps you healthy, and um, you will not get hurt. And always use a, um, um, like again, just always make sure you use sleds as much as you can. Number 46. When you talk about volume of the reverse hypers, are we talking about weekly or daily total volume? I'm talking weekly. <clears throat> um, you know, we have two days. So remember, uh, a 600-pound squatter, uh, would do 7,200 pounds of work by our calculations. So that'd be 28,000 pounds of reverse hypers. That would be on Friday, our speed day, and on Monday, our max every day. Even though the barbell volume on that day is very low, but the reverse hyper pound just has to stay the same. Then on your two uh, uh, bench press days, you could do about half that much, about 14,000 pounds, and um, that will work as restoration and also just tremendous condition for the lower back. No injuries. Number 47. When you lay on the table of the reverse hyper, where should your belly button be in proximity to the end of the table? Uh, your belly button should be basically. Let me see. What would it be? Hanging up. I think it's just because then you slide back just, down. Yeah, what we do is what I say here. Basically, what I do, I hang off as far as I can, and then when I when I drop the weights down, I I slide off the table. When I lower the weights underneath my face, I slide off and I raise my the weights back upwardly to the rear. I pull myself up on the table, and that's how I do my repetitions. Yeah, you want if you if you actually get your upper body high up or your glutes, your hips are on it. It's going to be all glutes. 
an upper hamstring. But if you slide yourself off, then you rotate the sacrum and it works the lower back, hamstrings, and, um, and uh, everything. Number 48. Any specific exercises to increase dorsiflexion? Well, we do lots of calf work of all types here. Plus, I use a tibular machine. I've had this in my gym. I, I brought it for, uh, I bought it for my young sprinters four or five years ago, and they live on that. That's one of the key muscles. You got to build in front of your calves uh, to keep yourself from being injured, not having shin splints. Number forty-nine. Explain the importance of the hip quad machine. Uh, listen, straight up, it's posture. Too many people have poor posture. They also have weak hips. They can't extend their hips forward. That was a question asked before. Um, you know, if any of you are familiar with uh, high jumpers, uh, the Cubans use exercise called a hammock lift, where they would lay their, basically, their upper body would be on the box, and their feet would be on the box, and their buttocks would be laying down on the ground, facing up. Then they would elevate themselves. They would arch up, elevate their hips upwardly, as if jumping over a bar. So the buttocks would not touch the bar. That's actually what this builds. This creates a lot of uh, increased posture. You know, everybody sees, they love our inverse curl, but when they, uh, well, when they get on the, the hip quad, they realize that it's, it's so beneficial to so many athletes because they've got terrible posture. You know, if, if your pelvic is not correctly aligned with the body, when you run, you're putting undue stress on the lower limbs, causing injuries to the feet or ankle or knee. Finally, question 50. How do you organize a training day for your grapplers, wrestlers, uh, main movement followed by accessories, etc.? Well, basically, Tom, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about this. But I'm big into sled work, upper and lower body. Um, you know, uh, I like the jumps. At least, uh, you know, they need more conditioning. Sometimes they could do like 60 jumps twice a week. Um, use weights and, and test them. A lot of fighters can't jump very well. So for some reason, um, maybe they're used to doing long jumps for takedowns, but they're not used to jumping up on a box. So you got to work these jumps. I think it makes a huge difference. And uh, but we got a speed day. We got a max every day. Mm -hmm. um, our main max effort exercises are our good mornings, uh, rack pulls, uh, deadlifts. You know, all type of deadlifts, and uh, some squatting. And for the bench, it's the floor press. The zercher lift is a big yeah. one here. Yeah. And um, so that's some of the exercises we do. A lot of stuff in the bell squat. And Tom, if you'd like to uh, uh, yeah, add on. I, I think you basically hit the nail on the head with everything we do. The Zercher squats and the Zercher deadlifts are the two biggest lifts that we do. And we do Zercher lifts now on the deadlift or in the bell squat now that we can add that um, to it. We do a lot of stuff with the freak bar too because it helps squeeze in and squeeze out. Um, and the accessory work here is key. Because we have them for, such, we have them for about an hour, we use the accessory work to develop weaknesses and condition at the same time. We're trying to kill two birds with one stone. Um, and again, the belt squat helps hugely with that. And jumps, as you said, they've got one of the worst amoration faces I've ever seen. Um, but they're very good at long jumping, like closing distance. But when it comes to jumping up, not so much. But we find that it's like your sprinters, when their sumo deadlift goes up and their box jump goes up, their explosive power and their, and they're in a lot of quasi-isometric movements. But in general, their strength is through the roof. And uh, jumping, <coughs> jumping with ankle weights, and we actually have them jump while Gable locking a medicine ball because it's somewhat similar, but they do that and they get huge, huge things out of it. And we perform four sets of 10 jumps. When they do 10 jumps, they will do some sort of conditioning in between where they'll carry med ball, where they'll do something for, uh, to keep active and they come back so they have to jump through fatigue. And inevitably, when you take away that uh, exercise in between and have them jump, um, they're able to jump way better. Why? Because they know how to jump through fatigue.
It's a big thing. And I know you do a lot of grappling into belt squat. Mm-hmm. That's three minutes. And you've got uh, two, three hundred pounds around someone's waist and you grapple with them. You get that belt off of them, they can really move. And that is this tremendous conditioning for muscular endurance as far as cardio. And it helps with the hip turnover too because yes. the hips are constantly <laughs> activated. Well, Lou, I'd like to thank you for taking the time. We've went through 50 questions asked by our followers and fans. And um, we'd like for you to keep bringing the questions in. And um, I know Louie loves doing these, and we'll keep uh, answering all your questions. Well, thank you very much for uh, tuning in, guys. See you next week. This is Westside Barbell with strength and conditioning legend, Louie Simmons. WestsideBarbell.com, the strongest website in the world.